boys and girls, dying times here. That's right! We are at the very end of Friday the 13th Part 5! Oh, thank you, Jason! On Kill by Kill. Well, greetings and salutations, killers. It's your old pal, Patrick Hamilton, coming to you once again from... Camp Crystal Lake adjacent or something. I don't know, this movie doesn't want to tell, so why should I tell you? And it's the Kill by Kill podcast where we are dedicated to celebrating the least discussed component of any horror film, the characters. We're going to unpack all the gory details of Friday the 13th Part 5 in the hopes that a camper's untimely end is just the beginning of the jokes we can tell about them. And as always, we journey into this fraught barn of doom with the only person I trust to let me know how much gas is in that chainsaw. The one and only Gina Radcliffe. How you doing, Gina? Well, Patrick, you know, I, I, I'm feeling a little bit of relief and, and yet also a, a touch of sorrow. I, I, I sort of feel like Sam and Frodo at the end of the, the Return of the King. Oh my when, God, that takes a long time. Are you sure the, you want it to be that long? When the, when the ring has been destroyed and, and Sauron has been defeated, mm-hmm. and yet and yet the, 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 our heroes, Frodo and Sam, lay in each other's arms, battered, bruised, exhausted, feeling that there's no hope for rescue. And they and they talk about the things that they would have liked to have done had they made it back to the Shire. I, I sort of feel like we've gotten to this point where we're just, you know, we, we've, we've reached the end of our hero's journey, but we, we may not make it back from this. <laughs> it's entirely possible that the light at the end of the tunnel is actually a raging tractor headed our way, and we just flail our arms up in, up in the sky like, I don't know what a tractor is. What's heading towards me? And then it hits us. There are worse ways to go. <laughs> or you could survive it inexorably. I, I don't know how you, you manage to survive it, but, and yet Roy does. Anyways, we will get to that. You know what, Gina, though? We're not going to uh, cap off Friday the 13th Part 5 alone. No, no, no. We've brought along a special guest. May I introduce uh, one half of both the Revisionist and the Stage of Fools podcast, Mr. Zach Powers. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing pretty well. How are you guys? Ah, we're good. Listen, this is it. I mean, next two weeks from now, you guys get to start uh, Jason Lives. Ian McKellen yeah. will wake you up on your sunlit bed, and it'll all be right <laughs> in the world. Oh my God, that would be the best. Pat- Patrick will f- will will we'll get to see his 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 rosy cotton again. <laughs> <laughs> exactly so. Uh, how many uh, J.R.R. Tolkien references will we be able to fit into this one edition of the podcast? I don't know. New mini game on the show. <laughs> yeah, just I think we I think we're starting to pick up a trend of literary references that don't really belong. We we've gotten Tennessee Williams, we've gotten uh, of Mice and Men. Now now we've thrown in Lord of the Rings movies. I, I think this could be a running gag. This could be the new sure, hashtag. Yeah. I, I think part five warrants the grimness of a George R. R. Martin, personally, but... Uh, sure. Ooh, I hadn't even thought of that comparison. That's, that's uh, yeah, every, everybody dies pretty much. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's, that's a good one. I hadn't even thought of that one. Yeah, thunderstorm is coming, I suppose. It's <laughs> what we always knew it would happen. So, Zach, I ask you, as I ask all of our guests, 
What was your first introduction to the Friday the 13th franchise? Well, my relationship with the Friday the 13th franchise goes back uh, pretty far. When I was a youngster, probably in first or second grade, after a night, uh, a Halloween night of collecting candies, uh, I came back to my house and I turned on the teeny tiny TV I had in my room and on TBS or USA or one of those channels that used to air a lot of edited horror movies, they were playing Friday the 13th Part 2. And I stayed up late watching it. And over the next few years, I sought out, at an age too young to, to do so probably, the remaining movies. I joined an internet forum dedicated to Friday the 13th when I was approximately 12 years old in 2001. Oh, that's um, the perfect time to talk to strangers about horror movies. <laughs> oh, I, I went deep, too. I, I stayed there for years. I did not have a great deal of friends in middle school and early high school, and they became my surrogate social community during that time to the degree that uh, when I was 16, for some unknown reason, my parents allowed me to fly to St. Louis to go to a rented out campground with a bunch of strangers from the internet who were older than me for the weekend, which was the first and, place I ever got drunk. And yet somehow you're still sitting here telling us this story. Uh, somehow I am still friends with these people. Like, they uh, they shaped some of my political... It was like the height of George W. Bush's war on terror. They shaped a lot of my political beliefs. They made me... They helped me through the most embarrassing time of my life. And, uh, yeah. I, I started the forum. This is an extraordinarily embarrassing detail. I later became a moderator, but when I started, I had the, the nickname... Me, at 12 years old, Spawn of Evil was the moniker I chose, <laughs> which I later reduced to SOE out of pure embarrassment. I, I can I can top that. When I was well into my 20s, my chat handle for a little while, because I was a Rob Zombie fan, mm. was Living Dead Girl. And because yeah, I was, you know, I'm a little bit older than you. So I was, you know, I, I reached, I came of age during the grunge era. Sure. So the girl in Living Dead Girl was spelled with two R's. Oh, sure. Classic <laughs> sure. Avril Lavigne kind of style on that one. <laughs> uh, th that story is like one twist away from being a really bad outcome lifetime movie. And yet here you are, like mm -hmm. a better person for it. So... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm still, like I said, I'm, I'm friends with uh, a lot of those people still, and I see them posting pictures, mostly protesting Donald Trump, I'll be honest, but yeah, still <laughs> friends with all of them. So mm -hmm. this brings us once again, because this film is no home to common sense. We are at the end of this particular motion picture. We're, we're wrapping things up. And so I could give you a long list of who's left alive, but almost no one is left alive, so... Let's start this off where we ended last time, which is Reggie waking up from his old movie from the 50s induced nap to a lightning storm. Mm. And the first thing that Reggie uh, says out loud is, what are those nuts up to now? Yeah. Now, my question to the both of you is, does he believe that lightning storms are caused by crazy people or is he hearing or was he told he was going to hear something that we, well, the audience don't hear? I have a guess, I suppose. Sure, um, go for it. So uh, the previous two victims, Violet and uh, the guy whose mental uh, instability was apparently that he stuttered. No one can ever. It's hilarious. No one could ever remember his name. I think every guest we've had has called him Josh, Jack, 
and pretty much every other variation of J names. Like I think he might time. get called both Josh and Jack <laughs> at, in the movie. I think he's first introduced as Josh and later is called Jack. Like seriously, honest to God. But in the credits, he's, 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 he's Jake. Credit Jake. He's credit <laughs> really? Jake. I almost want to rewatch because I swear to God, they call him two different names and neither of them is Jake. Um, Welcome to they, Friday the 13th Part 5, where nothing they, is as it seems and anyone's name could be anything you want it to be. They were watching this movie with Reggie and Jack very openly comes on to Violet, assumedly with Reggie just off frame. Is he yes. there for that entire interaction? Well, he was asleep, I think. Well, hopefully he he Jack does start to Jack Jake Josh does start to yell <laughs> near the end of that interaction pretty loudly. Well, you know, I mean, uh, this is a kid who this is a kid who's who's living at a halfway house. I mean, he's probably seen some shit. Probably, you so. know, I mean, a, a, you know, one of the one of the residents clumsily hitting on another resident is probably uh, is is among the less traumatizing <laughs> things he's witnessed. One of just them in the past few days, axe just days ago. Well, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, yeah, whatever. You know, he's he's hitting on her. I'm just gonna sleep right through this. I mean, really, how many? Who who among us has not pretended to sleep through a you know, a friend clumsily hitting on another friend? No, that's true. Absolutely, anyone who went to college. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he wanders upstairs, and immediately uh, goes to whose room has he gone to? Isn't it? Because he he says Tommy, Tommy when he. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. All I can know, I, I just know. All I th- the only thing I noticed about that scene is when he's knocking the door. You can see that big old no handball playing sign right over his shoulder. <laughs> Again, well, all right, Zach. We've asked this two weeks in a row. What? Who's playing handball so loud in that fucking hallway? It's a tiny hallway. How do you play handball in it? And how do you play handball so much in it that they're like? We need to put a big fucking sign that says, don't play handball in here. Uh, I don't know. One. Uh, two. I'm not really sure what handball is. <laughs> I just assumed it was a metaphor for masturbation. <laughs> oh, I did. That makes sense. In a, in a halfway house, there's probably going to be at least one resident just whipping it out without any sort of regard for his surroundings. That's... Oh. Jake jo- a, Josh is totally handballing it up. Uh, total yeah, storm. That's, I didn't even think of that. That is an excellent, completely plausible theory. That's the most plausible theory anyone's come up with, so I'm very glad I asked. Anyways, he uh, bursts then into Tommy Jarvis 2.0's room and discovers a pile of bodies. And sure. so this brings up a... Well, we're now into the portion of the movie... Which mm-hmm. has been uh, an ongoing theme here on the Kill by Kill podcast, and that is Jason Voorhees' interior slash exterior decorator, where he subtly or not so subtly hides bodies in just the right place so you discover them along the way. Only this is um, that section of the movie supersized because all the bodies we're going to encounter, all the deaths that we're going to talk about are previously killed people that happen to be in this movie and we just haven't seen in a while. Well, where have they been? They've been dead, apparently. Uh, so the threesome, that the, the menage a death that he happens upon here is our previous trio. That's your, your Jake, Jack, Josh, your mm-hmm. Robin, and Violet. Robin still doesn't have a shirt. And she's piled on top. Oh, God. This movie just can't get enough boobs. 
<laughs> and it's not the last pair of boobs we're going to see in this movie. It's almost over. I think the craziest part about this is there's still like more than 20 minutes left of this movie. Like the, the, you know, usually when you get to the point where he's, where Jason's tossing bodies through windows and all, which he does, mm-hmm. because that's, a, that's his signature move. How Roy would know that, I have no idea, but, but, but there's still another 20 minutes of this. <laughs> it just goes on and on and well, on. I mean, to be fair, Jason aped, like many things, a lot of that final uh, hide-the-body-find-the-body chase from Michael Myers, of course. And I guess Roy, through the same osmosis, picked it up off of... And I guess Jason wouldn't know that his mom did the same goddamn thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why we always view it as a Voorhees family trait. Because mm. he picked... You know, he, you may not always know everything that you do might come from your parents. Sure. And then you discover later on. Like, I always tell my kid, like, chill your biscuits. That's not something that I picked up as a vernacular from Glendale, California. That's something my mom picked up from living in Kansas. So that's not something I've always viewed as, like, that was just a part of me. And then it erupts out of me in the appropriate situation. In that case, raising a kid. Here, it's, you know, hiding dead bodies so they can give people the woo scare. Sure. The Easter morning Easter egg hunt was a grand tradition at the Voorhees household, I guess. <laughs> it might the, still be. We don't know where that head is. The sure. deep-seated, vehement dislike of windows. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, they, he hates big picture windows. It's just a thing. You shouldn't be able to see that much. I mean, he sees everything behind a mask. So is that where the resentment comes from? <laughs> If I can't see anything, you people can't see anything. It's just a fondness for limited fields of vision. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, he, Reggie lets loose one of his patent awesome high-pitched screams, which I think is probably the best thing about this movie, <laughs> is that kid's scream. It's, yeah, it's glorious. Pretty, it, it's pretty hilariously girly. It's just... It's you don't anticipate it coming out of him, and every time it does, it's a delightful surprise. I love it because it feels actually genuine. The family of Reggie is by far the most likable and interesting characters in this movie, and I honestly wish Tommy didn't need to be in this fucking thing. They should have focused on that family, Demon and Reggie and the grandfather, as kind of the de facto protagonists of this thing and, and cut all the bullshit with Tommy straight up. Oh, yeah, totally. They are, they are, our entire episode on Demon and his girlfriend Anita was how these characters were completely superfluous and that Roy should not have had any, they, they had nothing to do. They weren't even in town when, Joey, yeah. they weren't even in town when he was murdered. And again, likable, completely useless characters that the, the, the movie would have been considerably more entertaining if more focus had been put on them. Yeah, but. I would have liked that uh, a sort of uh, part four dynamic where you have a satellite family and then an interior of kids who's partying sort of awakens a mass murderer, that would have probably been a more interesting movie and would have drawn from a better place. Instead, as we've said many times, Friday Part 5 learns all the wrong lessons and then applies them in the most haphazard, stupid way possible. Tommy's whole reason 
reason Detra is to basically be one connective tissue to the previous movies, which isn't really necessary. And because no. none of the previous ones had that. And no. two, to be a possible suspect for the killer. But they do the mystery game so, so, so poorly that it, it, it really doesn't matter. They don't have scenes of characters wondering, oh, who's the killer? Except the cops barely at all speculating about it yeah this film's idea of a of a red herring is a bag of swedish fish you don't even know what the fuck to do with it yeah it's it's also a strange and they take the strange and unusual tactic of making the protagonist of the movie disappear for for long (laughs) stretches of time and also have the least amount of dialogue in the movie i mean he tommy gets maybe a dozen lines in the entire movie just spread out over an hour 45 minutes sure. uh, he's been gone no, since it... before demon died and he doesn't show yeah. up for another 10 minutes at least yeah he there's about a, at least a half hour stretch in the movie where he is not even in it i that brings up this i mean in another film you might think this is some sort of brave expansion or busting open the tropes because there's no real defined final girl and there's no actual hero journey. There's a lot of things that you could say are really expanding what a Friday the 13th movie is. It's just done so poorly and so haphazardly. It's just It's like random. They're pulling names out of a hat. Like, who haven't we seen in a while? Mm-hmm. And it's filled with so many extraneous characters that you just lose track of it. So, I, I feel is like that's... Pam our final girl? I would almost put Reggie in that role. He's better suited to it, and I actually like him. Well, I'll say one. I'm going to say Pam is the final girl just because I want to call her the final Pam. And (laughs) two, this section of the movie is especially guilty of what you're talking about because there's a number of characters whose bodies have not been found at this point that could easily replace these characters that they're throwing through the window. If you want eye damage, Tina is sitting out in the woods somewhere, throw her through a fucking window, then you have more time to develop a couple of these characters earlier in the movie. I agree. Have him actually kill the guy that's responsible for his son's death. That would be a logical thing for a person to do, would it not? How hard would it, I mean, especially, you you would you would figure that Roy would probably be familiar with the local police constabulatory, so why not have him walk into the, in the jail cell and kill the guy that actually is responsible for his son's death? Based on the police work these people do, they cannot run all that tight of a county jail. Yeah, he literally could walk in with the Jason mask and and no one would bat an eye. It would add tension to this if Vic mysteriously disappeared from jail. And then everyone's like, oh my god, Vic's on the loose. And assume that Vic is on some sort of revenge mission where he's going to kill everyone. That would add tension to this. Instead... They don't develop it at all, and it just sits there. And then they kill off ancillary characters or people they just introduce as a body count until we get to this point. And then it's like, ooh, well, we got to start throwing some dead bodies so we can explain that this person is dead now. And it's that's nuts. A ten times better. If you think Rick's the killer the whole time, Vic is the killer the whole time. That twist is ten times better than what we get in this. Goddamn thing. Uh, so uh, Pam arrives on the scene after Reggie's scream of, of doom. And uh, she she tries to get him to focus. Like, Reggie, what's wrong? Reggie, what's wrong? 
And when she reaches the fourth version of Reggie, tell me what's the matter. It's almost like, kid, say your line. That's <laughs> how it comes across. And then he just kind of head motions that the reason he screamed or is upset is in the other room. Mm-hmm. And she walks in there and we wait a full five seconds. And then finally a lightning strike. And then she backs up out of it like, again, uh, stab wounds are catching. And then they haul ass down the stairs. And that's about the only genuine reaction in the entire thing. And then it completely goes off the rails again. They hustle on down the stairs. And then they try to make it across the kitchen. And she practically throws him to the ground. Yeah. It's, 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 it's a little much. <laughs> and then she's kind of yelling at him to get up in a very unhelpful way, I would say. <laughs> And she bl- she totally blamed like get up like I'm 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 tired of you keeping us from getting out of this house instead of we need like urgency. There's a lot of move 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 going on here. Uh, like I think he gets it. It's time to move. And then Roy <laughs> bursts through the door by and and the door explodes. Let's hmm. get this straight. The door explodes from him kicking it. <laughs> Sure. And, and another 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 signature Jason Voorhees right. move that he could not have possibly known about. Unless yeah, he'd seen the earlier movies. Jason uses his whole fucking body. He just kicks it. It's a low kick. And then the door <laughs> explodes. I mean, did I he mean, learn that in paramedic school? I mean, but to be fair, yes, historically, Friday the 13th Killers... If they were a Pokemon, the type they would be strong against is door type. <laughs> you can tear them apart. <laughs> door entrances and exits, portals, as you were, mm-hmm. are, yeah, particularly vulnerable to his type of attack. Um, yes, the door just, as if TNT is, is attached to it, explodes. <laughs> and then they just look at this shaft of light with a guy in a Jason mask blacked out eyes this is important completely blacked out eyes now the blacked out eyes thing in the hockey mask goes back a ways because people generally don't want to wear that much makeup underneath that fucking mask you don't want to have a hole to do and then wander around doing stunts in it but later on the blackout eyes disappear And you can clearly see it is not Jason Voorhees because, as Gina has so often noted, we don't have the fried egg guy. Right. (laughs) Right. Well, we also you can also see that he is like unfit middle aged man wearing this this jumpsuit. Whereas before he was like, you know, hanging out at Gold's Gym every week, every 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 other day. You could definitely see. Okay, yeah, that it's not jason Voorhees. i mean yeah. not that anybody ever really thought that it could have been but they at this because i think this is the first time you really got a full view of him i don't think like, this this is the first time you see the mask i think in the entire yes. movie yeah 100 percent. yeah You've only like, seen it, hands yeah it's, it's, it's not that's not him no come uh, on and it's probably not tommy either because tommy is fucking jacked in this and, you know, Roy really did put a lot of effort into this costume, as we'll talk about later. I don't know why he didn't extend that to the body and just go for the whole nine yards. A little padding wouldn't have hurt if he's going to get hit by tractors and shit. But um, You would think, yeah. You one would thing, think he would prepare himself. I'll give this to the movie. I always did like the touch that in the dream sequences and when you see Jason as a hallucination later on, he has the red triangles on his mask. I like that for the fake killer... 
They went with those blue triangles to d- differentiate between the two. It, it's the only successful costuming uh, maneuver in the entire thing. For example, this is <laughs> Pam is running around. And I know not everyone chooses their footwear based on the idea that later that night they're going to get chased by a machete wielding maniac. She is wearing these urban cowboy cowboy boots with heels on them. Yeah, and through muddy, like rainwater filled dirt. It's a it's amazing she lasts as long as she does. Yeah, there's a lot there's a lot of slipping and falling down in this in this sequence from both her and, and from Reggie. It's a lot of tripping and a lot of falling. This place seems to be full of bushes as opposed to any other part of uh Crystal Lake or its adjacent uh environs. Mm-hmm. And they uh, go a rumbling and a stumbling out towards the road. I guess that's their main objective. Along the way, Pam both loses and regains her pink sweater. Right. For reasons I can't begin to tell you. Uh, and they happen upon the ambulance. They open the dri- the driver's side door. And who do they find but Duke. His throat has been slashed, and he still has gum in his mouth. Yeah, a character from the first ten minutes of the movie that is never seen again, and the audience is supposed to immediately remember who it is. Yeah, get ready for a lot of that in the next fifteen. <laughs> yeah, minutes. pretty much. That that is the that is the theme of the, of this movie. Remember this character? No. Well, look at him anyway. They're dead. He's totally dead now. Before he was not dead. Now he's freshly dead. Yeah, that counts uh, as a character arc in this movie. <laughs> he was alive and now he is dead. I love that they put gum in his mouth. Just so you go, remember that guy who had gum? He's dead. <laughs> I, I guess they figured that was you know a little more subtle than having him found with like with like a porn mag in his hand. <laughs> he died well, like he lived. But that would con- that would confuse him with our our other porn loving individual. Although they don't look uh, Billy. Billy's oh right, right, who's... right. Yeah, that is. Yeah. Well, everybody in this town is a scumbag. So. Again, Friday the 13th, if you are an ambulance driver or associated with transporting sick or infirmed people, you're automatically assumed to be a complete scumbag. It's just... <laughs> what, do these writer- what do these writers have against the EMTs? <laughs> uh, that is a damn good question because it comes up over and over and over again. It's just like the the dream that they have to finally capture all the awe of watching a dude shit on camera. It's like, well, how can I, how can I figure out another way to see a dude take a dump? You know, um, I feel like in this series, most, a lot of the cops are also either wildly incompetent or kind of assholes. So maybe they just hate uh, anything that uh, provides like a public service to the community a little bit of an Ayn Rand street going through them. Yeah, they hate our first responders. R.I.P.D. Duke, we you spoke like I think you were an under five. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. we he literally might have been we, an under five. We literally hardly knew ye. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, apropos of nothing, out of nowhere, Roy has zagged on him, and he's on the other side of the ambulance. Yeah, I was every- trying. To, I was trying to think of the ponder the physics of that and i was like fuck it why am i even trying to to figure out how that was possible yeah zach and i were uh, briefly discussing before you you came on air that what we have here and i wish i'd brought this up and during my bloody valentine because it really applies there but it also applies here we got ourselves a mrs doubtfire situation happening here 
where someone is able to both uh, transport themselves in between places and change almost completely. Whereas now Roy does not have blacked out eyes. We can plainly see he is sans fried eye egg. And he's just like standing there like, hey, you know who's ready to kill you? This guy right here. <laughs> Bang. <laughs> And he tried to do the two thumbs thing, but he had that machete. It made it awkward. <laughs> yeah, he almost stabbed himself in the neck, uh, just trying to be a cool dude. Reggie sees this and says, like, you can practically see cartoon dust emerge from him as he hauls ass in the other direction and says, fuck this. He leaves Pam to die. Basically, he he, spe- and- he speaks to the audience when he leaves immediately, <laughs> saying "fuck this." Uh, and to which Pam is like Reggie, and Re- <laughs> she's speaking to his shadow, who is the only thing he's leaving behind because he's traveling so much faster than she is because she's got those fucking heels on. Meanwhile, Roy is at a light trot. He's not even really at a full pace, like. I walk faster walking a dog than he is. Uh, along the way, uh, we get a lot of uh, swatting away of brush, uh, which is super awesome. And we get the first appearance of Pam running. And the only way I can describe Pam running is if you've ever seen A Hard Day's Night, how the Beatles exaggeratedly run in music <laughs> videos. <laughs> That's how pa- Pam runs in real life. Away from a killer. Um, and yeah, they run all the way back to the house. Uh, Pam finally, for the love of God, loses that uh, pink sweater when she discovers Dr. Letter and his dead body has been nailed to a tree, but his throat has also been slit. So he gets a little bit of both. It would have been a good one to see because he, he must have put that nail right through his head while he was standing up. And into that tree behind him. Quite a feat of strength on uh, old Roy's part. I feel like the the nail would have been enough. I don't know why the, the throat slitting happened. That's just excessive. I wonder if the throat slitting is first and the nail's just there to keep him oh, upright. Okay. So you think he, like, killed him with the throat slit and then awkwardly held him up while he kind of pounded the nail through the head into the tree. It's all open to interpretation because yeah, we where's nothing. Yeah, where's that third hand coming from? <laughs> Good question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe have you, he... ever, have you ever tried to hang a picture? You need like three hands for that shit. This is a full-grown man. <laughs> uh, yeah, like do you know how hard it is to get my six and a half year old from my bed to his own bed when he's fallen asleep there on the odd night that he does. Like it's like trying to it's like trying to that must be like trying to nail a sack of potatoes to something. <laughs> it's yeah, it's nuts. I, I don't even, well give it up to Roy. He ends up, I don't. I guess that we've entered a psycho strength era for Roy at this point. Maybe yeah, this was he, like an unrelated final destination death, like a passing train through a spike through his head <laughs> and a piece of glass <laughs> slit his throat at the same time. That's the most likely explanation here, I think. It, yeah, sure. I mean, putting on, putting on the, the mask is some sort of, it, it, it's literally like the movie The Mask. It makes him like super strong because he's this kind of otherwise unassuming unremarkable looking middle-aged man who's suddenly able to pick up people by their throats and and nail a full-grown man to a tree and perhaps dance to cuban pete we don't know that could be in a in a, <laughs> deleted, in a deleted scene, scene. Yeah, yeah i mean scene. yeah sure this has opened up an entire world to me i can't i, I don't 
I'm sorry. Someone else is gonna have to continue while I get I, I I'm, I'm now I'm thinking about away. the mask as like a magical op. Like I'm thinking about it like the symbiote from Spider-Man Three, and I'm thinking about Roy getting like a shitty haircut and going to a jazz club, being a little <laughs> rude to his girlfriend. Well, you know, I sort of feel like with the, with Jason goes to hell. That's kind of what they picked up and ran with. I mean, not exactly that the mask was doing it. You're right. Yeah. But but this is some sort of spirit that could be passed on to other people that suddenly makes you super strong oh, and, I, and really creative in how you murder people. Do we have a Friday the 13th part 5 fan theory going here? Oh, I think we might. I, 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 well, I, I think that definitely in part 4 they hinted at the very end that this sort of thing with the weird Corey Feldman giving a evil stare to the mm. to the camera was sort of a hint that well maybe this could be passed along like a right. cold to come back or, to our or, mini game it's like cory uh cory feldman turned whatever this hot guy's name is was carrying the one ring manages to resist its charms and then it sees its opportunity in roy once he finally gets to the halfway house oh my yeah, and, god and, and, roy and, is the smeagol of this movie he's, he's <laughs> He's very weak. He's very weak-willed and greedy, so it, mm. it gets to work quickly on him. Mm-hmm. We know that greed and hoarding runs in the family because his son has the same situation with chocolate bars. So, yeah, Shit, I think that's I th- a family I think we, trait. I, th- I think we've got something here. We have I, we have cracked the code of this terrible movie. Suckitcrack.com. <laughs> we got to it first. Take that website that doesn't know we exist. Yeah. <laughs> we punch up here, okay? Uh, yeah. I'm writing so. my letter to Sean Cunningham as we speak. <laughs> Dear Paramount Pictures in 1985. <laughs> so somehow, Dr. Letter is dead. R.I.P.D. We don't know how it all worked out, but we know you're dead as doornails now. And then... Uh, Pam beats feet as fast as she possibly can. They get all the way back to the house. And this is where we get another reveal, as it were. And that is, they've forced this actress to huff it all over Helen Gone in high heels and no bra. <laughs> this is too much. Now, to be fair... I, it's strongly implied that this is a town where bras are outlawed, like Footloose, kind of. <laughs> Listen, you shouldn't force a person to run in rain without a bra. That's just a bit much. It sounds like it was a hellacious experience, and that might just be just part of it, but... I think that, honestly, the way this movie is, it's how, how grody it is. I mean, they could have gotten away with one more shower scene at the end where she's you know after such a traumatic experience she just has to wash it all away i i i'm absolutely positive they would have they would have taken that opportunity i mean it has enough endings they didn't yeah they have six or so endings (laughs) they might have deleted that seventh one (laughs) holy shit we have yet another connection to lord Lord of the the rings Rings. this has as as many endings as Return of the King. Well, the difference is every new ending in Return of the King at least sort of accomplishes something in terms of the story. None <laughs> of the endings in this accomplish anything in terms of the story. Now we're talking about this, so I really would have loved a scene where where Tommy's laying in the hospital bed and every all the all the surviving characters just come and just start laughing for about twelve minutes straight. Absolutely, and then he <laughs> runs off to the Greylands or whatever they're called. <laughs> He like gets on a gets on a, uh, a ship with, I don't know, uh, 
whichever one of the Ginny from from uh, from part two from part two, sure. and just they just they just flo- float off to the great land of of uh, Crystal Lake. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the USS. I've seen enough of this shit. <laughs> They're just all taken off all at the, the same time. U- the USS has been. Go <laughs> go. Hey there, hi there, ho there. It's your old pal Patrick Hamilton breaking into the action ever so briefly to remind you of all the great podcasts that you can find at the Ear Trumpet Audio family of podcasts. You have your pet cinematary. Please don't send me to outer space. Life Mark. Oh my gosh. So many great podcasts. I can't list them all. That that would take me at least 30 more seconds and we just don't have that kind of time. That being said, you can find all of it. Go on your Facebooks and find Ear Trumpet Audio, and you'll find all of the podcasts updating every single week. It's totally worth your time. Check it out. You should also check out some of the podcasts that have been very lovely to us in other avenues. Shows that have featured us or that we've had lots of great back and forth uh, on uh, social media and whatnot. I'm, of course, talking about Shockwaves and Scream 101. Um, Some of the podcasts of our guests, uh, like Ladies Love Paul Rudd, which is fantastic. That's Amy's podcast, and I love it to death. It's fantastic. Uh, You should also uh, check out uh, the Stage of Fools podcast, uh, because uh, I am personally tied in a weird way to the Royals because we work on uh, that show to deliver it to people. Uh, we help advertise it. And you know what? Uh, we're going to have some people on a little bit later that might be more directly connected to the Royals. So keep your fingers crossed for that. Uh, so much great stuff. Uh, I would also encourage you to check out shows like 80s All Over, uh, which kind of covers the same territory that we do in a slightly different way. Or even uh, Teen Creeps, uh, which is a great podcast that if you have not uh, heard it, it's brand new to Feral Audio, although they've been doing it for a little while. Great podcast. Please check it out today. And with that said, the body count continues. Kill, 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 kill. Break, 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 break. Yeah, Pam uh, arrives back at at the halfway house only uh, to cross a picture window. And of course, you know what that means. That can't stand. We've got to throw a dead body through it. And in this case, it's poor George the Cook, a a guy who doesn't deserve any of this shit. His clothes, by the way, dry as a fucking bone. His (laughs) eyes have been taken out for reasons who knows. They just, like, needed yet another injury to somebody. And he's breathing heavily. Well, you know, you're flung through a window. (laughs) It's a callback to the heavily beating pulse on Anita, I guess. As far as, like, portraying a dead body, I'll give him, like, a C-. minus. Well, Or maybe they just didn't tell him when the camera was on. That is probably the most likely suspect. Yeah, they signaled for action, but they forgot they put a bunch of fucking makeup in his eyes. He couldn't see it. Couldn't see shit. Just breathing, like, normal. Mm -hmm. And they're like... All right, uh, we got it. He's like, you don't want to take another one with me not breathing? Eh, moving on. And they we've got some go nude forward. shots to film. <laughs> no time for <laughs> I was this. Gonna say they 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 can only do one shot of poor George. They, you know they have a couple more boob takes they have to do. 
<laughs> priorities, man. Priorities. Well, I'll say this about old George. I think he might be just about the most likable character in this thing. He's a he seems like a nice old dude. And again, I wish they had focused on the reckless family a little more and uh, a little less on on a lot of these other idiots and assholes. Oh, for I sure, for sure, one hundred percent for that. Yeah. So R.I.P.D. George, you deserved better than than this shitty movie and this nonsensical death that you were given. And so Pam screams at it, and then we get a close-up of his eye makeup. And again, Pam runs like Ringo, uh, being chased by rabid fans. And <laughs> here comes Roy. He's he's on the move. We see his shadow. Uh, and she's just beating feet towards the barn. Um, it manages to trip yet again. Uh, she does not yell at herself to get up. She gives herself a lot of chances. Uh, she just ends up doing a lot of downward dog and mud. And then, uh, Roy slowly, like he's got all the time in the world, comes up to her. And then out of nowhere, right before he's, he's in striking position. He's got a machete up. He's ready to go. Out of nowhere, bang, the barn door explodes. And a tractor comes out of it. Who's at the helm? It's Reggie the Reckless. Finally, he's doing something reckless. And he heads directly towards Pam and Roy. Roy reacts to this tractor as if he's never seen a moving vehicle before. Mm. <laughs> this is also when Roy has suddenly been given a neck compliance. Whereas before, he was just a, had a normal neck. Now he's been given a pseudo-Jason neck. Roy spends a lot of the, the last 15 minutes of the... The movie acting as though he's just been dropped off, dropped out of a spaceship. <laughs> like he 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 doesn't know he doesn't seem to know what to do when someone is bearing down on you with a moving vehicle. He mm. seems mystified by the fact that once he recovers from being hit at almost full speed by this sure. tractor, he is bleeding. He seems yeah. like baffled by this. Like like why? Oh, that's right. I'm a human being. <laughs> He might have forgotten. I mean, this is this might be the most physical activity Roy has engaged mm. in in quite some time. He looks like a man who has lived the supply in life. Like he hasn't exactly been he's, pumping he's iron a, or doing EM, a lot of. He's an EMT. That's a very physical that's job. True. He's also a, a deadbeat of... dad, though, and that's a very easy job. <laughs> <laughs> Compared the two, are they uh, they really offset one another. Yeah. I mean, he's at crossing guards level of physical activity from what I can see. He's driving any everywhere, maybe hoisting up a body to put it on a gurney, but it's, he's not running into burning buildings, Gene. That's true. Well, I wonder, right, I wonder how enough. much prior to this, how much uh, violence or need for medical response was going on in this town. Possibly not that much. Well, no, if it's, it's, a pretty, actually... it's, a, it's a sleepy little town. <laughs> That's If it is in fact Crystal Lake has seen incident after incident well, after true. incident of bloody mayhem. So if they are in fact near Crystal Lake, he's seen a lot of action. If it is anywhere else, a normal amount of action, but not the sort that he's going to turn action hero or maniac killer before this. And if he has, the movie has decided not to tell us this. But he is sort of blinded by the light of this tractor and gets square hit in it 100%. And the noise it makes kind of sounds like a limp hit at a body bag. 
Sure. It doesn't it doesn't really sound human. It sounds like if you if you dropped a duffel bag on a tile floor. <laughs> yeah, the the foley editing in this movie says Mwah! it's 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 superb. Maybe at this point he has put on his Mrs. Doubtfire bodysuit to make up look. He's been mm-hmm. changing this entire sequence from black eye makeup to no black eye makeup to his facial sort of uh extra padding that he adds on there yeah the, maybe, the, the, the weird appliance yeah 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 so maybe he put on a little bit of a bodysuit and that was the thump against that that prosthetic flesh there uh yeah so now we once again get a full look at the neck appliance he's put on mm-hmm. uh, out of nowhere and uh he wakes up to try to grab reggie and pam uh reggie does not get the wet uh clothes treatment that pam has pam is soaked to the bone reggie dry as anything oh yeah and and in in, in, in true idiot horror movie character fashion rather than running for their lives they stand there they don't just stand there they edge a little closer to him and then a little closer and then a little closer just until reggie is close enough for roy to reach out and grab his leg yeah. What I mean, are they doing? Why are they why are they slowly moving towards him? Even prior to this, like Reggie, after his sort of get away from her you bitch moment with the tractor, he could still use that tractor to kind of finish him off or make sure he's good and dead or at least pin him to the ground so he can't get up and come after them, but neglects to do so. I mean I, well, I mean I guess that the idea is they want to know who it is. You can find out later. You can read in the paper who it is later. (laughs) You do not have to stand there and, and, you know, kind of, you know, move a little closer. Move a little closer. Let's see. Maybe maybe we'll pick up the stick and take his mask off. No. Neither neither of you are in the Scooby gang. You don't need to pull the mask off of this villain (laughs) to let the audience know who the fuck it is. You can just beat feet. Imagine their disappointment when they do find out it is who it is. And they're like, well, who the hell is that? I've never seen exactly. this person in my life. They echo the audience's sentiment. Exactly, yeah. And meanwhile, Roy has like the Grand Canyon of gore wounds in his chest. Mm-hmm. And he kind of looks at it like, how the fuck did that get there? Man, you took a tractor to the chest. God only knows what happened to your fucking shins. I don't know how, because you get hit two different ways when a tractor hits you. High and low, but somehow he only has the high. Well, he's kind of hobbling around a little bit, and then pretty, and then when Tommy shows up and he gets his injuries, he's starting to hobble around. So it's like seven or eight minutes of these two dudes just kind of slowly, painstakingly chasing each other around. It's it's like watching a couple of dudes recovering from a car accident in a hospital. Just they're trying to beat each other to the restroom. <laughs> uh, well, before we get to the reemergence of poor Tommy Jarvis, we get uh, Roy wandering into the barn, and he's he's looking for his uh, two last victims. And Pam, out of nowhere, finds a chainsaw. And why? Now- where, where? Why? Why do they have a chainsaw? Why, why does it? Why does this halfway house for for mentally disturbed teenagers have a chainsaw? They gave Vic an axe. I mean, I think his punishment was you only use the axe, you don't get access to the yeah. chainsaw. After That's the, the first only... murder, it was like, okay, no more chainsaw privileges, just the axe. <laughs> 
let's give the violent guy just an axe. I mean, there's only so many people he can kill with that. Whereas a chainsaw, he could probably get a lot more. And so we have what we've always wanted in a Friday the 13th movie. A wet woman with a chainsaw fighting a one-handed man with a machete. And it's underwhelming. Yeah, I'd say, I in mean, terms of a duel, this isn't quite the Princess Bride. Roy has kind of, of a sort of a little bit of like a Darth Vader in that Obi-Wan Kenobi fight way of fending off his attacks, where he just kind of holds <laughs> up the machete and that's good enough. I agree with you there. <laughs> it's, it's a wounded old man fighting another person who doesn't quite know how to fight with a chainsaw. So that's realistic at least. But Pam does get in one good shot to his mm. shoulder and uh, then the chainsaw runs out of gas. Can, can I ask, is this... Now, there's a popular conception among some people that Jason's weapon of choice is a chainsaw. This is the first chainsaw that appears in the Friday the 13th series, is it not? Whose popular conception is of this and where have you found You've never it seen in, in little drawings of Jason and he always has a chainsaw with him? I, I see, I feel like I see it a lot where people just assume Jason has a kind of a chainsaw thing going on. Uh, he definitely has that buzzsaw thing that happened from part seven, which is that giant circular saw thing. Yeah, that like weed whacker. He, yeah, I think at a certain I, point he he just, you know, claimed the machete. I mean, we never know where he seems to get the machetes from, but. Yeah, a lot of them are imported like enchiladas into this town. People tend to drop off machetes near Voorhees. And, oh my god, the neck appliance is now gone. This movie is so fucking inconsistent. Tommy reappears as if he's a Wild West gunslinger, and they stare at one another forever. Clearly, okay. again, that's done to fake out the audience, which is, again, this no one's buying this, because you know, Roy's kind of got that... Is it you? Now, again, I don't think Jason would recognize Tommy, a five years older Tommy, because I, you know, although, again, Jason's intelligence seems to it, it depend on whatever whim of the screenwriter happens to be at that particular moment. True. You know, sometimes, sometimes he's a feral animal. Sometimes he's an ace crack detective who can find anybody just, you know, by, by scent, I guess, or, or just mm. is able to predict a person's moves in advance. But so I, again, this is a total, this is a fake out for an audience that already is not buying that this is the J the same Jason from the, the, the last three movies. I mean, to be honest, when I watched this scene, the main thing I was unclear about is why Tommy went to this barn an unspecified amount of distance from the actual halfway house itself. Did he go to the house and find the bodies? Or did he just immediately decide, after running away from punching the old uh, redneck guy... Uh, I guess I'll just wander on back to the barn and have a nice barn think for the night. Like, I'm not sure why he's here. <laughs> I just like that we've branded it a barn think. Yeah. Um, I like that a lot. Uh, Look, a lot of things that just because the script declared it. He's needed. He was called to set and therefore he is there. Because the screenwriter's like, oh shit. We forgot Tommy. Yeah, pretty Here much. Here he is. And he just stares at Jason slash Roy forever and just wonders if he's still dreaming, wonders if what the meaning of life truly is. And Roy comes right over and slashes him in the chest. <laughs> like, he doesn't even move. This doesn't seem like a person who's 
survived a massacre no. before. Based on the quality of that slash, it doesn't seem like somebody who committed a massacre before. <laughs> <laughs> well, his his balance has been thrown off. I mean, he now That's has true. a chest injury. He now has a shoulder injury. Things are not working the same for him. So maybe his judgment of distance, he's losing blood. Sure. So I'll give him that. And then lo and behold, that knife that we first encountered when he first arrived at the halfway house makes its its Chekhov's knife. And we thought it would never appear again. But lo, here it is. He He pops it right out at the right moment. And as Jason is about to finish him off, he stabs him in the groin. (laughs) (laughs) Now, that probably is the most brutal thing in this entire movie. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. When you go for the femoral artery, you're not fucking playing around. Yeah, pretty upper thigh-ish, but yeah, pretty pretty narrow shot there. I mean, he also has a chest injury, so who knows what he was really aiming for. But what he gets is real high upper thigh. And Roy seems to be okay with it. He's moving a little slower, but I have to believe he is running out of time at this point. When you've got that much Mm. blood coming out of you at one go, unless he gives it a quick suture and we just don't see it, but he manages to make it Well, maybe while to... he was taking off his neck flap, he kind of stitched himself up a little bit. I mean, he is an EMT. He would, he would... True. He should know, at minimum, basic first aid. Roy slash Jason makes it up to the second story and is... I don't know if Tommy has passed out, in which case the fuck you doing? You have you have one injury. Roy's running around bleeding from so many places. I can't even tell you where they all are. Meanwhile, he's like, "Oh, the vapors," and he's out. Or he's playing possum. I can't tell you which. Oh, uh, Tommy very barely justifies his heroic last minute entrance. He helps very little. He really does, doesn't he? He he does not. Re- I mean, yeah, it, up until the very last minute, he's he's not helping. No. No, no, it's a it's a semi team effort in which he takes all the glory for at the end when it's really uh, spoiler alert. It's really Reggie, who's the hero of the day, I think, in this, because he's the one who puts himself in in harm's way in order to lure Jason slash Roy out. And then Pam starts taking to him with an axe handle like Mm -hmm. she's in the quiet man all of a sudden. (laughs) She. Then she looks out an open barn door yeah. and spies this. I, I guess that's, is that what you put hay on? That thing with all I, the spikes on it? Is I have that? no idea what the practical purpose of this yeah, bed this, of spikes is. Is this, is, this, is this barn on the same property as the, the halfway house? I mean, yeah, it is, right? It's directly it's, from it. It's yeah. their barn. Absolutely. So what are the, but I mean, there's no, there's no animals on this farm. There's, well, that's where there's, they kept the tractor. That's but, where we saw what Vic are they, on the tractor. But, but what are they tractoring? Like hay? I, <laughs> there's no hay. There's hay in the barn. They just store their incredibly dangerous things, like their chainsaws <laughs> and their beds of spikes. I which, mean, of course, thing, the only thing the halfway house seems to produce is laundry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> An endless amount of laundry that needs to be hung. I also think it's a it's a failure of basic safety procedures to leave your bed of spikes directly <laughs> under the railless barn 
like window. I think that's oh, that, definitely that's a that's a that's a tetanus shot waiting to happen. Yeah, at the minimum, yeah. <laughs> I think we might have solved the the mystery of the bed of spikes. Uh but yeah, Reggie gives him a good shove. She he uh he when he's not looking, gives him a, a haya uh, from from the rafters and you think, oh no, he's gone. He's totally gone. Nope. Uh-uh. This is Die Hard before it's Die Hard. Who's hanging outside the window? And that's one Jason fucking Voorhees, and it doesn't matter how many places he's bleeding from, he's going to take Reggie with him. You're right. I mean, between uh, between this uh, villain hanging tediously, uh, tenuously off the edge of a window and all of the broken windows, this really is a, D- a precursor to the Die Hard series, I suppose. Yeah, John McTiernan <laughs> watched this and started taking notes halfway through. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe Steven D'Souza, or I don't know. It was actually a book before it was a movie, and all that shit's in the book, too. But anyways, guess who wakes up out of nowhere for no fucking reason? It's Tommy Jarvis 2.0, and he finds the machete, and he chops off Roy's arm. Roy falls to the ground, and then on right onto the bed of spikes, and then we get the most nonsensical <laughs> visual in the entire movie, and that has got to be saying something where we see that Roy is actually the man behind the mask, but he's been wearing two masks. Mm-hmm. What? We didn't even see the second mask. Why have a mask on? Why not just shave his head or something? Like, why does he have to have a full makeup appliance? And Don't. how does falling on a bed of spikes split open the face of it? Do not <laughs> No good yeah, it, it 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 looks like it burst open, which it which uh, yeah, it, it's like, but there's no spikes to his face. Some no. some somehow like he he is positioned just perfectly. The spikes are around his head. It's worth noting the second mask obscures the edges of his face. Uh, it's a dark shot. We've never seen Roy in the dark before, and it's all rainy. And we haven't seen mm-hmm. this character for about forty five minutes, maybe at this point. Yeah, so the, the, we, when we saw him in close up, we got a lot of shaking jowls. Yeah, this is completely <laughs> different lighting. I understand how several of our guests have been. I didn't even know who that person was. Mm-hmm. I I get it because you can't. There's no way you could know that that's fucking Roy from the brief flash of his barely lit face. Yeah, I, I'm reminded of another movie that came out roughly around the same time period. It was a movie called Jagged Edge mm-hmm. with uh, with Glenn Close and Jeff Bridges, and it is mm-hmm. a a murder mystery in which she is a lawyer who is defending Jeff Bridges from the for the murder of his, who's on trial for the murder of his wife. And then he is acquitted and she is attacked at the end by someone who, spoiler, it turns out to be Jeff Bridges, except that the reveal of when she takes the mask off and sees who it is, is so badly done that you actually cannot see who it is. (laughs) It it, it does not look like, I'm sure you could probably find it online somewhere. It is so poorly done that it's, if you did not know in advance who it was, it's like, okay, this is some random person that breaks into her house and tries to kill her. You know, th- thank God she can run into the arms of Jeff Bridges. Oh, wait, no, he's dead? Oh, okay, I guess that was him. 
<laughs> you, you know, I gotta say, Patrick, I, I, I'm gonna argue your your point that this that Roy's reveal was the most nonsensical moment in this in this movie. Okay, I, sure. I would say that uh, that would be a few minutes later when mm-hmm. um, the cop has Roy's wallet, <laughs> and which contains a photograph of himself in the in the. In the, in the in the picture, the little picture insert. You know, when I was doing the rewatch, I hadn't seen this movie in a long time, and I thought after Roy fell, I'm like, okay, well, it was dumb. This whole thing with Roy was stupid. The reveal didn't make sense, but at least they didn't do, like, the psycho, like, therapist scene where the guy explains what was going on with the character a whole bunch, because I had totally forgotten the laziest use of that ever, which is, I guess we just found his wallet on him. And he had all the pertinent evidence inside. A picture of himself, a picture of his son, and clippings about the Crystal Lake massacres all in the wallet. Didn't even have to go to the apartment for this one, boys. He he has an evidence dungeon in his wallet. It's portable so that it's always on him in case he is found. It's like all they were missing was like a, a piece of paper with like everybody's names just scrawled and then like, you know, this jagged red line like through each name as he goes down the list. <laughs> yeah, Vic you at know? the very bottom didn't quite get to that one. Yeah, he, he doesn't even know half the names, you know, Old Black Cook, you know, Old Vagrant. Black Cook's grandson, Vagrant. The, the, Blonde you know, get, lady. You know, gay couple in old 50s clothing. Just, just, you know, Roy's to-do list. (laughs) Yeah, his honeydew is uh, hmm, spurious to say the least. Um, Before we get to that weird-ass psycho reveal, however, there's there's more nonsense to, to get through. One of which is we have a nurse at the intake of the hospital, I guess who is filing her already lacquered nails. Her yes. nails are now, I'm not an expert in nail technology, okay? I've, I've gone to have a, a manicure several times. I enjoy it. I went with my son just a couple weeks ago. But I, it seems to me that if you've already painted your nails, now is not the time to file them. I would not really no. And 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 she looked. She just could not look more bored Dis- and annoyed yeah. with this with this this woman and this child who just survived. A mass it's murder. like she's pissed off at them. It's like she's Roy's girl living girlfriend. She has no time for this shit. <laughs> It's like, I can't believe Roy was the only guy I liked around here. She really dislikes the two of them. And and when you first happened upon Pam and Reggie, it almost looks like she's breastfeeding Reggie. It's a super weird shot. But yeah, it definitely seems like this nurse had like tickets to Springsteen that night. And then this murder happened and she had to stay late. And it's like, well, fuck. Don't get to see the boss. Assuming this is New Jersey. (laughs) I think that's as likely a story as any, given the location or what the location is, we assume. Uh, So, yeah, Sheriff Tucker comes in uh, with his hair uh, in the exact same place we saw it last time. I don't think it's possible for his hair to move. And yeah, he's got an evidence dungeon in Roy's wallet. You know, I, I, I just I just rewatched the the clip, and it's hilarious because he's going through the news the newspaper clippings, and one of the newspaper clippings has a picture of Jason. 
Yeah, but like, where like, did they get that? Yeah, it looks like like almost like a Bigfoot type picture. Where he's like looking right at the camera, and he's got the mask on. It's like, wait a minute, who took that picture? I have to wonder, like, since Roy did have these two separate masks on, and we know, as we've established, he's a fan of limited fields of vision, like Jason is. Maybe when he was killing all these people, he just couldn't see very well, and he's like, wait a minute, is that Vic? And then he does the murdering, and then he's like, "Ah, shit. Once again, the wrong culprit. (laughs) It's a comedy of errors, really, if they remake this movie. (laughs) This guy keeps on killing the wrong people. That photograph of Jason in the newspaper looks like someone took Jason on a perp walk. Like they just (laughs) (laughs) captured outside the county courthouse Jason Voorhees Mm. with under mask. I, I sort of, feel, I sort of feel like it's like the uh, the Lee Harvey Oswald shooting, where like the the, the they had like the guy next to him looking like really startled. <laughs> Meanwhile, it, the sheriff is explaining all of this to Pam, and she's got the look; she's not even paying attention. And I don't know why she should, because who cares? There's no reasonable explanation for what's just happened. She's just sitting there waiting to take off her fucking eye makeup and no one will help her. Not even the nurse behind the station who's filing her already painted nails. So after that, she just decides, okay, listen, I got to go to Tommy's room because the script says I have to. She walks in. Tommy, who's in, I guess, the only bedroom this hospital has because they didn't have no room for Reggie or Pam. <laughs> no, oh yeah, it is. and it's one of those standard uh, horror movie hospitals where there's only two people on staff. Yeah, one of whom is apparently reading at his bedside. How do you get that gig? <laughs> the old nurse reading at his bedside, like, oh hi. I was just getting through my novel here. This is also our break room, and so she comes in and talks to Tommy. And he, they look at one another like, yeah, we went through the shit, didn't we? Yeah, totally. I, I don't know what this half smile they do at one another is. If the, at the end of this, if what had happened is they had high-fived and it freeze-framed, like at the end of Tango and Cash, <laughs> that would have been the best ending. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, we don't get that ending. Uh, they just kind of, hey, hey there, hi there. Let me stab you with this machete I happen to have underneath the sheets. And um, then she looks down like, the fuck? God damn it. And he laughs maniacally like the Joker. And then that's the ending number one. Yeah. Kind of two, because they really could have gone with just they kind of are relieved to be alive. The sheriff explains what happens, fade out. But they have to go for the twist. True. Okay. So so let's say that's ending B. Uh Uh-huh. Let's move on to ending C. Tommy wakes up. It's super stormy outside. Mm -hmm. The old lady who's using his room as a break room has disappeared. Mm -hmm. And we get his, um, we get yet again his beautiful visage when he's been sweating. Because if this movie has anything, it's full of footage of this guy being moist. He's very, it's a very damp movie. And then he gets orgasm face <laughs> as he looks at Jason Voorhees now in a red mask, a red striped mask at the end of his bed. Yeah. And he kind of has like, oh, 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 it's you. <laughs> <laughs> it's all, it's, it's one step away from Ghostbusters ghost blowjob. <laughs> yeah. And then he kind of gets this, like, 
yes, master, I accept my fate, look on his face. <laughs> and it's like, wait, what? Ah, come on. Uh, the main difference between this visage of Jason Voorhees and any of the others that we've seen before is Jason still has all the wounds. He's got the machete wound to uh, his head. Or actually, I guess he's got the axe wound yeah. to his head, which is leaking bl- brain matter. And just a lot of blood behind the mask. He's got the blackout eyes. And then he disappears. Mm. Where did Jason go? I think he, he force ghosted on him. <laughs> Like I said, I mean, I think that you know Tommy, you know, you know, has his orgasm. You know, he uh-huh. he he experiences the rapture of 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 you know accepting that he is going to take over the 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 mantle of killing for Jason. Well, mm-hmm. Why? And and again, it doesn't make any sense because it's not no. something that is carried over into the next movie. No. And then he and then he conveniently somehow has the mask stored in his in in his. In his little cabinet next to his hospital bed. Well, Let's quickly it, go through it, the list of contents of that drawer. Well, a a hockey mask from a from a murderer, recent, not imaginary, <laughs> a real murderer, a belt, underwear, and a knife case or wallet. I can't tell which, but all of that has been folded and put into a drawer <laughs> in his hospital room. And it's a kitchen knife. Where did he get this kitchen knife from? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know where anything happens. I don't know why any of this is happening. <laughs> Zach, do you have any solutions for us? I suppose maybe there was some kind of like, when he was accepted into the halfway house, hey, if I end up in the hospital, just my emergency medical uh, facts, I'm going to need a hockey mask. I'm going to need a knife. <laughs> I'm going to need a belt. I'm going to need some pants. Just those are my comfort food. If I ever get put in the hospital, make like sure he's got they're a there. go bag. Yeah. I, I think, I think it's just, I really think it's just shoddy police work on the, the, the local constabulatory where the mask came off of, of Roy when he fell. And so when they're collecting evidence, they're like, Oh, anybody lose a mask? And then just, you know, kind of threw it onto, on the, on the Tommy stretchers or taken away to the hospital. You know, maybe it's because... probably this kid. It's probably this kid. He'll say he plays hockey. Let's, let's leave it with him. <laughs> this hospital is too small and understaffed. We know that we know the police and EMTs are incompetent in this town. Maybe they just share like an, uh, an evidence locker and a hospital room. It's just one room to save space <laughs> in this town. Just like the community and, center. Yeah. Well, the nurse is taking a break in there. So yeah, it's a multi-purpose room for sure. You know, they're having they're having the big uh, the big spring dance. Uh, you know, in another in, in the in the room next right next door to his on the the following weekend. So Pam uh, is now just outside the door. She hears a large crash. She runs in. And in very Voorhees-like fashion, the window has been broken out. Yeah. And there's a violent storm happening outside still. And uh, and she's like, what the fuck? And then the door closes and behind her is Tommy in the blue hockey mask raising a knife that he has for reasons we can't tell. (laughs) And that's ending number C. And yeah. That's which is, which is, I mean, Jason fading is, out could have been C because maybe it implies he got over the trauma of Jason. I don't know. But yeah, I would say this is this is the, this was D, and and again, okay. it's an ending that is not carried over into the next movie. Well, no. My favorite thing about ending D is it's basically the same ending as ending B. It's just him killing Pam a second time. 
but from a different angle. Like, yeah, that other angle was frightening. But if I get her from behind, that's it's, that's more my that, style. The, and, with a, and with a different weapon, he he he's a machete in, in B, and then has a kitchen knife in D. So I th- I feel like the endings go like a regular denouement where it's like okay, this is wrapped up, and then there's like, but what if Tommy's a killer now? And then there's like, but Tommy's still haunted and or getting over Jason. And then they just go back to, what if Tommy's a killer now? <laughs> just play the hits again one more time. Yeah. No, but wait, let's talk about, let, let's ponder whether Tommy's a killer now. <laughs> Stay tuned after the credits for a cookie about whether Tommy is a killer now. Because these it, things it turns are con- out Thanos is, is really behind all of yeah. this. Because Freddy these things Kruger are contagious, wants to hire apparently. Tommy for the new initiative. After the credits. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Uh, who's the who's the doctor in Halloween? Uh, Loomis, Dr. Loomis. Do- yeah, Dr. Loomis is basically the 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 uh, Nick Fury sure. of this entire thing. He's just gathering psychos together. So in some sort of suicide squad. Yeah, I like it. Better than suicide squad. <laughs> That's true. Patrick. Uh, we, we yeah. made it. Oh, my God. Oh, it's over. We yeah. made it. It's over. I, I, you know, we could sit here and review this movie, but I think we've done it. We've told everyone how we feel. Yeah. I, I, I'm older. I'm, I'm wearier. I'm, I'm more cynical. Brighter times ahead for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We saw Jason Takes Manhattan to look forward to. Yeah. <laughs> and I have Which is going to be a breeze compared to this. I, I have almost as much to say about that, but probably hey. in a less angry fashion. A man gets his head <laughs> punched off in that movie. It's not all bad. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, it's, 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 it's a magnificent motion picture. It's worth it alone for when Jason hassles punks in, <laughs> sure. in Times Square. I mean, really, the movie builds up to it, and then it happens, and then who the fuck cares what happens after it? Because it's never really going to get any better than that. <laughs> sure. There's no way him turning into a mysterious toxic waste baby at the sewer at the end. <laughs> Spoiler alert for a movie three movies from now. But yeah, that actually happens. Uh, so yeah. Uh, that's Friday the 13th Part 5. So let's get into it. Let's play America's least favorite game show, probably because they're not all aware of it quite yet. And that is Choose Your Own Death Venture. I love this and game. It's, it's like you're playing Clue, but you're playing as Mr. Body. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, you have to decide exactly how you would be dispatched if you had to choose from the deaths that we see in this particular section of the movie. So I ask both of you, would you rather die as Duke does of a uh, throat slashing, but with gum still in your mouth? Or would you like to go out like Dr. Letter with a throat slashing head spiking combo, a one, two punch. Mm. Uh, speaking of one, two punches, we've got George who takes two stab wounds to the eyes and gets defenestrated. Mm-hmm. And he may or may not be dead at the point that we see him. So of blood loss, let's call it blood loss. Or would you like to go out like Roy, who is both hit in the chest with a tractor and nicked in the shoulder by a chainsaw, stabbed in the almost groin, and then has his arm chopped off and he lands on a bed of spikes. I look to you, Zach, as our guest. Oh, it's a lot of great answer. Great off-screen options, mostly. Um, 
I will say when you were talking about George, I, th- I found a little bit of appeal in that because there is a chance George just survived as a blind man, I suppose. <laughs> he might have pulled off like a blind fury start sort of life after that. Yeah, as a maybe. Blind samurai. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I um, like but I, got, I guess I got to go. You know, it's go big or go home, really. And I think I'm going to go with Roy because one, at least... I get a little bit of attention out of the thing instead of just showing up like a fucking prop at the last minute, a forgotten shoe in the back of the closet or something. <laughs> I mean, and plus, that's a death. I'm like the Miss Doubtfire killer that people are going to be talking about for a long time. I could live with that. That's a nice legacy to have under your belt. Well, you're going to have to walk around with all that stuff in your wallet, and that's going to make it tough. True. It's going to, when I've you sit got... down, you're always going to feel it because you're sitting on all those photos of yourself. I know. The son that you left oh, behind. I'm going to have to get rid of and... some of these subclub cards to make room for the newspaper clippings. <laughs> <laughs> it's very true. I mean, you're you're just going to have to pay for your uh, $5 footlongs from now on uh, without hope of getting a free one after 10. Um, but that is the fate that you suffer. All right, Gina, uh, what about you? Well... Dr. Matt and Duke were uh, you probably best remember for being absolutely terrible at their jobs. I mean, mm-hmm. really, when when it comes right down to it, Dr. Matt is is probably the most responsible for everything that has that has transpired in this uh, in this movie. He, One thousand percent. He, he is not yeah. a good psychiatrist. He should never have been left in charge of of troubled teens. It is mm-hmm. really the everything that happens. It, it, it's his fault. And I'm really surprised that they left his death on screen or off screen, I should say. Right. Um, I'm going to have to go with George because even though he does disappear for most of the movie, I would say he's probably one of the more fondly remembered characters of which there are very oh, sure. few in this in this movie. And I, I want to be remembered in my death, even if I'm not around very much and, and might take people a minute or two to remember who I was. Once they do remember who I was, I would like to be remembered fondly. So yeah, I'm going to have to go. I, I would like to think that it was you know, in keeping with the, the, the general carelessness, let's call it, of the movie. I'm pretty sure that, that the actor playing George still you know, it, vis- very visibly breathing was just they they said fuck it we don't have enough film to, sure. to, the, to do this a second time and and that he actually was dead so yeah I'm I'm gonna have to to go with with good old Grampy George yeah I I honestly believe it was like a camera test and they're like we gotta cut out we we gotta move otherwise we're gonna lose this entire day it's like oh camera test is good enough <laughs> and that just sounds like the incompetence of this movie all right I think that's a uh, that's a good choice uh, I am going to go with Duke. And there are only two reasons for this. One, I like chewing gum. And two, I've always wanted to be in the front seat of an ambulance. So well, there. yeah, live your dreams. Follow your dreams, man. That's what I want. Uh-huh. That's what I get. And I just have to have my throat slashed because of it. You really want to be in the in the front of an ambulance more than the back of an ambulance. Although it really doesn't do Duke any good, does it? No, no. Hey. He ends up the same as most of the people he transports. Pat just came here to chew gum and have his throat slit, and he's all out of gum, apparently. (laughs) Uh, That's a point to Zach. All right, everybody. Uh, That is the Kill by Kill podcast for today. Hey, Zach, uh, where can people find out more about you and hear you? Uh, You can hear me two places in the Stage of Fool's podcast with previous guest Shannon Camp. 
uh, previous guest on this show, uh, where we review E's terrible, soapy, goofy sex romp comedy drama, The Royals, uh, <laughs> or on The Revisionists, which is a comedy podcast where we look at an event from history, one person gives a true account, and one person gives an absolutely batshit bonkers fake crazy account, and then we vote on which becomes the real history of the world going forward. I like it. Very nice. Okay, Gina, where can people find you on the internet? I write about 70s, 80s, and occasionally early 90s television at tuneintonight.wordpress.com. Excellent. Check it out, people. Get those podcasts. Look it up on the internet at tuneintonight.wordpress.com. Um, hey, do you want to talk to us about something? There's a couple ways you can do it. You can reach out to us on Twitter at KillByKillPod. Got something longer than 140 characters you want to talk about? Send us an email. KillByKillPod at gmail.com. As always, we implore you. We beg you. We're down on our soot-covered knees in the mud begging for you to rate and review us on iTunes because that's the way we get heard and seen by more people. If you would do that and write in that review your favorite kill from the Friday the 13th series, we will read it here on this air. That is my promise to you, the listener. As always, we thank you so much for listening and sharing with friends. People, we're done. Next time, oh my God, it's getting so much better. Jason, spoiler alert, lives. What? <laughs> and the way he lives is batshit fucking insane. We've got great people lined up for uh, Jason Lives. Listen, this is getting fantastic, and we're so happy that you're with us to, uh, to, to the people who've been here from the beginning. We love you. People who have just come on lately, we love you just as much. It's great. Come on, join the party. This has been the Kill by Kill podcast for myself and Zach and Gina. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Kill by Kill is produced by We Write Good and is intended for entertainment purposes only. Friday the 13th is owned by Paramount Pictures, Jason is owned by New Line Cinema. No infringement is intended. Kill by Kill logo was designed by Josh Hollis. Visit him at joshhollis.com. The Kill by Kill theme was created exclusively for us by Revenge Body. Get the whole track and much, much more at revengebodymemphis.bandcamp.com today.